Club show. Coming up, I'll be talking to libertarian commentator Topher Field about what I often say is the opposite of feminism, personal responsibility. Topher describes himself as pro-human, pro-freedom, so we have a lot in common and you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say. First, I want to highlight some absolutely horrendous statistics from this piece in The Australian. Suicide was the leading cause of death among Australians aged 15 to 49 last year. Relationship issues, it says, are one of the key drivers. Spousal relationship problems were identified in 25.9% of all suicides. Australian Bureau of Statistics data reveals that one third of all death of people aged 15 to 24 in 2019 were due to suicide. The rate of suicide for males has increased over a 10 year period. Suicide Prevention Australia Chief Executive Neves Murray said, these figures are heartbreaking and unacceptable. Part of the solution is identifying those in distress before they reach crisis point and helping them find the right support. How many times are suicide prevention folk going to describe these figures before the government joins the dots and starts to take actual action in this area? If the numbers are unacceptable, perhaps it's time to look at where the funding is actually being allocated. The government's throwing money at this and it's not working, clearly. It's not working, is it? Who's going to be brave enough to turn the whole suicide prevention industry upside down and start again? Let me tell you, I've got a few suggestions on that. Now. I feel like every time we switch on the news or click onto social media, we're being lectured about rights. Those on the left of politics seem to believe that we have a right to this, rights to that, a right to a universal wage, a right to get drunk, a right to everything, all without any personal responsibility. Well, I'm not on board with that at all. Let's have a listen to my chat with Topher Field. Tofa, thanks for joining me. I really wanted to talk to you about all things personal responsibility and personal accountability in a society that's not big on either. <laughs> Let me start by saying um, generally about personal responsibility. For me, I think nothing sums up this topic better than the complete feminist facade that women have a quote unquote right to get drunk. I find it absolutely bizarre that anyone cannot think that ultimately they are responsible for themselves and their own well-being. What do you think? Look, I would love to live in a world where we could make ourselves vulnerable in whatever way, whether that's getting drunk, whether that's leaving our car unlocked, whatever that may be, leaving our, our phone on a park bench and, and walking away from it for half an hour and coming back and finding that it's still there. I, I would love to live on that planet. And if anyone knows where that planet is, please let me know. I'll happily move there. But that's not reality. That's not where we live. Uh, unfortunately, there are many people in the world who are trustworthy, who would not take advantage of someone who made themselves vulnerable. But we know for a fact that there are people who would take advantage of those people. Uh, it, it is not it is not reasonable in the world that we live in. It's a denial of reality to pretend that we should just be able to go out and make ourselves vulnerable in whatever form that may be 
uh, and just assume that we're going to be completely okay. Of course, we should be okay. Anyone that does take advantage of someone should be held accountable at law. They should definitely be punished for that. It's not something we should accept, but it is something that we know happens. Uh, and we shouldn't just we shouldn't be glib about that and, and pretend that we can ignore that reality. Yeah, I, I've referred to this before as like the death of common sense. It mm. is it, it really common sense tells you that you need to keep your wits about you. You need to um, in everything that you're doing. Yes, um, take responsibility for your own actions, your own choices, and ultimately try to keep yourself safe. What do you think about the gendered narrative around all of this? Don't you think it's slightly bizarre? And that's a death of common sense too. Look, the there is a difference between the genders and, and we approach life differently. Uh, unfortunately for women, by and large, they tend to be a little bit physically smaller. Uh, they don't tend to have the same levels of testosterone, so they don't tend to have the same amount of strength. And that brings a certain amount of vulnerability. If you are unfortunate enough to cross paths with a male who is the kind of male who would take advantage of you, unfortunately, biologically, there is a physical disadvantage there. Uh, I, I do think that it's very, very important for women to take that into account when they make their decisions. Uh, I, I never go out in public and get drunk because I'm not going to make myself vulnerable like that. Uh, yes, I'm a six foot tall ex-military male. I'm not in the shape I used to be in, but I can still handle myself. But unfortunately, if I came up against two or three other males who decided they wanted to take advantage of my vulnerability and I was drunk at the time, I'd have zero chance. I'd have absolutely none. And so if I, as a six foot tall ex-military male, am going to exercise a certain amount of caution around myself when I'm out in public, and I've lived in some fairly dangerous parts of Melbourne, uh, I actually, in the end, stopped going out after dark when I lived in Dandenong. I was there for four years. That is easily the most dangerous place that I've ever lived. Unfortunately, the the ferals in that area hunt in packs. They, they go around in three and four and six and eight. Uh, and I have to be realistic about my chances if they decided to victimize me. So I think adding this, this gender layer on top of that is actually a denial of the reality that we all actually have to be self-aware. We have to be realistic as we assess our own options and look at the situations that we put ourselves into. Is that a wise thing to do? Is that a smart thing to do uh, given the reality of who I am and given the reality of who those people are that, are that are likely to try and take advantage of me? So no, I don't think the gender narrative is helpful. I, th I think it's it's useful for perspective, um, but I don't think it's helpful to be turning around and focusing on violence against one specific gender. The simple reality is we are all vulnerable. We, we all need to be careful about what we do and adding a, a gender layer to that tends to hide that reality and deny that reality. Mm. And what do you, do you think that it's actually getting worse? Like I would say that and I don't want to say I'm probably probably sounding very like Daily Mail and an old reader here, but the criticizing the youth of today. But it does seem to me that the kind of the allergy to personal responsibility is increasing. There's um, a growing air of entitlement um, at the same time as people wanting to take less responsibility for themselves. Do you agree? I think there's two things going on simultaneously. I, I think if you if you look at your gen down to around about your gen Y, that's probably true. Um, but actually, there's a funny thing happening as you look at your millennials and you look at the statistics around them. Drug use is down. Um, people who have sex and, and play around out of wedlock is down. 
there is an increased cynicism towards government and the government's ability to look after you. And these personal responsibility versus the government will look after me. That's kind of the dichotomy that we're talking about here. And as you lose faith in government, you tend to increase your tendency to want to stand on your own two feet because that's really your only other alternative once you once you rule out sort of the government will look, look after me kind of mindset. So I, I think it's very easy to look at the world and say, oh, the youth of today. I, I don't think that actually is being borne out in reality. I think the people that want the government to look after them and take care of them are very vocal. Uh, they are very proud of their particular perspective on the world and very self-righteous about it. So they make a lot of noise. The nature of people that are willing to look after themselves is they just get on with life and get on with looking after themselves. I don't get out there and make that same amount of noise. Um, so I would say in, in, some, in some areas, in some generations, without doubt, if you go through your universities, I think without doubt, you're correct. It is getting worse uh, through the intelligentsia and, and the people that become students of the intelligentsia. But out in the real world, I actually don't think that's, that's really happening. And I'm quite optimistic that younger people today are seeing so much dysfunction from government that their faith will be damaged and therefore their desire to stand on their own two feet will actually be increased. Yeah, that's really interesting. You see, to me, I think lots of this goes hand in hand. I see the same people that would, for instance, talk about a right to get drunk. They are the same people that are very pro-lockdowns and um, very pro-big government and and mm. lack basically, um, it, to me, it feels like creating a, vic a, a victim narrative where you're always going to have somebody else to blame. Do you think there's some crap over there? Yeah, without doubt, there are people that they want to externalize their locus of control for a range of reasons, uh, whether that's to in order to excuse what they perceive as their own failings uh, and to be able to say, well, yes, I am screwed up in these various ways, but it's not my fault. That's somebody else's fault. Uh, or whether it's simply because they, they're they just fundamentally lazy and they like the idea that everything about their life is somebody else's problem. Their healthcare is somebody else's problem. Their retirement is somebody else's problem. Their unemployment is somebody else's problem. Uh, the fact that they were a victim of crime is somebody else's problem. They just want all of these things to be somebody else's problem. Um, there's definitely a, a, a link there between essentially people who want to not take responsibility for their own lives with people who then run to the government and say, government, you need to fix this. You should do this for me. Obviously, one leads to the other. And governments are only too happy to do that because when they have people running to them saying, oh, we have this problem, please help us, save us, that plays into a politician's self-image. They Most people get into politics because they view uh, politics as kind of the way of fixing the world's problems. Uh, I view it as the way of creating most of the world's problems, but they they see it differently. Uh, and so when someone comes to them and says, I have this problem, I need you to help me, the politicians are only too happy to oblige and they just have to bump up taxes a little bit, increase the, the budget of a given department, increase the number of employees. The bureaucrats are happy. They're, they're getting more power, more control uh, all the time. It's kind of this symbiotic relationship where these people who want to be dependent on somebody else uh, are feeding the government that is only too happy to make everybody dependent. And I think there's a real contradiction here, coming back to the feminist side of things, there's a real contradiction here where you have women saying, we want to be equal with men. We want to stand on our own two feet. We can be independent. Uh, but we're also then going to overwhelmingly go begging the government to look after us and protect us and provide for us and everything else. They're not trying to stand on their own two feet by and large. There are exceptions for sure. But by and large, the feminist movement as a whole is simply trying to replace their, their perceived dependency on men with a very real dependency on government. They're just trying to shift the, the responsibility towards this big sort of daddy government, if you will. Yes. 
Why do you think that human beings are, and this is a, a, probably a huge question for you to answer in like two minutes, but why do you think that human beings are attracted to collectivism rather than personal responsibility? Is it, is it like a shield? Is it, I think you used, um, in one of your previous answers, you used the word lazy. Is that the, mm. is that the draw, do you think? Well, the, the, the nice way to answer that question is, is to say that being a part of a tribe contributes to our survival. And this has been historically true through times that were much harder and where survival was much more tenuous than what it is now. But I think tribalism remains very much a part of our psyche. We are social creatures. We want to be an accepted member in good standing with some sort of a tribe. Now, to the, but, but then what we're talking about here goes a layer beyond that. It's not just wanting to belong to a group. And the mutual support that comes from a group is a good thing, by the way. I'm all for civil society and, and mutual support within the context of civil society. But then to turn around and say, I'm not going to be a contributing member of that civil society who then actually builds other people up. I'm going to be one of the parasitic members of that society where I get looked after by others. This is a really interesting psychological thing. Again, in, in the light of people who reject, let's say, the nuclear family, in light of people who reject the idea that there might be a primary breadwinner in the family and that that breadwinner might be more likely to be male than female, and they're allergic to these ideas, the nuclear family, the family itself is actually a socialist unit, and it's the one place where socialism is, is good and is meant to work, right? From each according to their ability to each according to their need, you have a breadwinner, maybe maybe mum and dad are both working, and they're providing to children who are these little parasites, right, who are just sucking up money and sucking up time and sucking up energy and eating food and wearing out clothes and, and everything else. But the point is that we do that and we support those people within this socialist family unit so that they can become adults. And the mark of adulthood is that they become people who can then provide for themselves and ultimately provide for others. And I think what we see with people wanting to continue to be parasites, wanting to continue to be on the receiving end, is essentially a refusal to grow up. They want to live in perpetual childhood because growing up is hard. Taking responsibility requires work. It requires you to look at and acknowledge some of your own fault and some of the things that, that hold you back from being able to stand on your own two feet. It's hard. It's a lot easier to remain forever an adolescent. And we see a lot of people trying to make that choice. Uh, and instead of now mooching off their dad or their mom or mooching off their husband, they're trying to mooch off the taxpayer and make the government do their dirty work for them. <laughs> yeah, and that leads me rather beautifully into my next question. So it's often said that mediocre people don't take responsibility for their lives. What do you think about that? Well, absolutely. And one of the one of the things that psychologists are constantly dealing with as people come to them for a whole range of different needs is getting people to take responsibility for what they can control. Uh, but also at the same time, getting them to let go of and stop obsessing over the things that they can't. There's a certain amount of maturity required in someone who says, I can control this thing, therefore I'm going to take responsibility for it. And if things are going badly, I'm going to accept that that's my fault and I need to work harder or work smarter and find a way to fix that. And at the same time going, this thing over here that's very important is actually not within my control. So I'm not going to obsess over that. I'm not going to rage over that. I'm not going to go and shake my fist at God or or go and you know burn down and loot buildings and what have you to try and get this thing to, to change. I'm going to control what I can. I'm going to, I'm going to accept what I can't. 
and, and move on with life and make the best out of my life and my situation that I can. There's a certain amount of, of humility required in that. There's a certain amount of maturity required in that. Uh, and those are things that require hard work. We, as children, we are not naturally mature, obviously. We're also not naturally humble. We tend to be very narcissistic. We tend to be very self-focused and think the world owes us everything. Some people don't want to leave that behind. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I often think all of this conversation brings me back to, I guess, my own um, decision to stop drinking. And mm. I think that it's a little bit like um, confirm, uh, conformed smokers who they say can often be the most judgmental. There are people who um, quit drinking or go to AA and, you know, see the light, unquote, and they're mm. very preachy towards other human beings. That's just not, as you say, there's a maturity in I'm very aware that my problems with drinking were my problems. I didn't have an off switch. I didn't have, um, uh, I had a lack of control that other human beings don't. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to preach about it. I understand that most people can regulate their own drinking. It's a personal, um, I guess, accountability to to face up and look in, look at the person in the mirror if you get to a point where you think that it's a problem and you need to tackle back, you know, tackle that back. But I don't, I'm not running around saying that something should be banned just because it doesn't agree with me. That, that said, yeah. is that a personality type or like what is that? <laughs> well, I, I think it's, there's, there's perceptions around the role of government and, and the, the importance of freedom. So I, I'm exactly the same as you in, in a very different area. I've never taken an illegal drug in my life. They just don't interest me. I've never, I've never even tried one. Never tried marijuana. Never tried anything at all. Call me boring if you like. They're just not interesting to me. But I disagree with the war on drugs because I see all of the other consequences that come with that. If you wanted to ban alcohol, there's one of these. There's this really thing that really funny thing that happens. Whether it's banning tobacco, banning alcohol, banning what have you, the people that want to ban it are very happy to create this specter out of it and say, look at all of the harm that's being done with alcohol. And there's people who try and quantify all billions of dollars worth of harm being done every year by sugar, by alcohol, by tobacco, by whatever. And they throw everything into that bin. They The second and third order effects, they go and reaching for every little thing that they can find to add in there and make it seem like it's worse. It's, it's costing us so much more. But what they never do is weigh up the positives. Now, here's a really interesting thing. If alcohol for most people was really a devastating negative for the vast majority of people. Why do we go out voluntarily and spend money on it all the time, every weekend, every weeknight? There's people out there voluntarily choosing to spend money on alcohol. Why? Because actually there's a whole lot of upsides to it. It's a social lubricant. When we have friends over to dinner who maybe we don't know very well, we crack open a bottle of wine, everyone relaxes a little bit, and we have a better time and get to know each other better. How many children have been born with the aid of a little bit of alcohol just to get people to, to relax and get along a little bit better, right? Uh, it's the same for me in the case of tobacco. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I'm not interested, but I do smoke cigars. And when I need to sit down and think, sitting down and thinking with a cigar, it's like a reset button for me. The mental health upside that I come away with feeling refreshed, I come away feeling more optimistic and more positive about life. When I have friends come to me and they perhaps need some advice or just need to have a man-to-man -man chat, we sit down with cigars and we talk about things that you just, you, you don't talk about as a man, right? We can, we can sit and in that context with a little bit of scotch and a, a cigar in each of our hands, all of a sudden it lubricates that interaction and people are able to work through stuff. There's these upsides 
to these so-called vices that just never get counted. And so these people who want to ban these things, they're looking only at one side of the equation. There is a reason why people choose to spend money on alcohol. There is a reason why I choose to spend money on cigars despite the prohibitive taxes on them because there are actually upsides there. And so if you are a prohibitionist, number one, have a look at what happened to the prohibition of alcohol in the US uh, in the 30s and ask yourself, is that maybe, are we repeating that mistake with our prohibition on, on hard drugs in Australia today? And are we repeating that mistake with our prohibitive taxes on tobacco today and to a lesser degree on alcohol as well? Are we repeating the mistakes of the past? And are we actually ignoring the upsides that come with these things, even if we're uncomfortable admitting that they have upsides? They're there, they're real. People are choosing to use them and choosing to spend money on them. And we need to factor that in. Yeah, very much. So if I was to kind of sum up my philosophy or the mantra or how I choose to, how I try to live, and it's mm. not always easy, <laughs> and sometimes I'm very vocal about things that I disagree with, but I'm definitely try to live, um, live and let live. That's kind of, mm. you know, that sums up so many of, um, of, of all of it, like we were talking about with drinking, uh, like with smoking, as long as it's not right in my face. There's, you know, there's a million ways that I would apply that. What about you? What do you live by? Absolutely. I'm, I am what is known as a libertarian. Uh, there's no hard definition of what a libertarian is. You get two libertarians into the same room, they're going to have three different definitions of what it means to be a libertarian. Um, but I, I used to be a conservative. I'm what I call a reformed conservative. Uh, and I'm, I'm now very much in the, the libertarian camp. And to me, unless there is actual harm being done to another person or another person's property, then really what you do is nobody else's business. And that includes doing things that harm yourself. It is... and. Let me be clear, though. I might turn around to somebody and say, hey, that's a really bad idea, and I don't think you should be doing that because that's going to cause you harm. It's going to harm your family. This is, this is a really dumb idea, and I – listen, would you, would you listen to me? This is a really dumb idea, and I want you to not do this, right? I might do that for a friend. And look, for a friend, I might even go as far as stopping them from doing things if I think it's really reached that point, right? Actually intervening, some sort of an intervention. But I'm not going to go running to the government – and saying, we need a blanket ban on this thing just because some people hurt themselves with that thing, right? If we actually took that approach to its logical conclusion, we would have banned swimming in the ocean because people drown every year. We would have banned skydiving. We would have banned driving. Like, forget speed limits and other things to reduce the road toll. We would have eliminated it entirely. We are yeah. very selective about the things that we then say, oh, the government should intervene. There ought to be a law. We're very selective about that and very inconsistent about that. I try to be as consistent as possible. You are allowed to make decisions that hurt yourself. Even if I think they're a bad idea, even if I would urge you not to make those decisions, I don't have the right to use the government's force of law and threat of violence because ultimately that's what distinguishes the government from, from me. I can tell you, but, but the government, when they tell you, they show up with guns and they have cages they can throw you in, right? There's a, there's a level of violence or threat of violence there. I, I believe certain things are good and certain things are bad, but I don't believe I get to use the power of government to force you to behave in the way that I might think is best. Yeah, beautifully said. Very good. Topher Field, thank you so much for talking to me today. Interesting, isn't he? Now, can I shine a light on this story, which has to be the very opposite of personal responsibility? This woman is accused of running a fake family daycare centre, the reporting around this is so shocking, I want to drag it into the light. The company was used as a front to defraud taxpayers out of $500,000. Yes, half a million dollars. 
That includes $138,000 from the coronavirus stimulus package, which was actually designed to keep the sector afloat through the pandemic. Police allege that it was all a mock setup. The documents and certificates on the walls were all for show. We're talking about an elaborate setup here. Seven other women and four men were also charged with dishonesty intended to cause a loss. They'll face court next month. Men and women caught being dishonest, allegedly. Who'd have thought it? Men and women. That doesn't fit the narrative, does it? Let's see what excuses are trotted out to try to explain this one away. Right, that's enough Barraclough for now. See you soon. The Corin Barraclough Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Corin Barraclough. To watch, listen to or read more new media without the social justice warrior narratives or politically correct fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.